Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh yeah. It's part two, Hardcore Listing, with me, Chrissy Goldtouch, and my good, good friend, Mr. Adam Nuts. That's the shittiest start to a podcast yet. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I've outdone myself there, have I? That was really bad. And I could see in your eyes as you was doing it, you didn't know where you was going with it. <laughs> and about halfway through, you was dying a little bit inside thinking, mm. I had this idea and it was actually not that good. I bet your missus can see it in your eyes that yeah. you don't know where you're going with it <laughs> when you make him laugh. He's <laughs> like, what's he doing next? Oh no, not there. I hate that. Welcome to Hard Rolling <laughs> in Part 2 with Matt Stocks, a professional radio and podcaster. Matt Stocks has never started a podcast with that sort of drivel. <laughs> so he's got his head in his hands now if he's listening to it. Yep. Probably in his motor, just thinking, you melts. Yep. Um, Matt, it was a pleasure having you on, mate. It was really cool hanging out. Hopefully we will see you in the future. Um, your top five is Mickey Rourke movies, which is in depth. You shouldn't be listening to part two first, so go and listen to part one if you haven't already. And if you're not necessarily a Mickey Rourke fan, um, it doesn't matter because, as usual, we go off all over the place talking all manner of nonsense about all manner of shite. Mm -hmm. So go and get involved and enjoy it. Subscribe, join our Patreon, give us all your money. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. And we we're back. We're back in the room. So yeah, I mean, for me, if you're talking good shit, we've got to go to Rumblefish next because yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, obviously yeah. a giant of cinema, sure. known for the Godfather and Apocalypse yeah. now, but then he also did these real weird arty films as yeah. well. Nine eighty three this was. Rumblefish, is that the year it came out? Wow. And again, it's one of those 80s movies that is set in the 50s and the cast in that. So you've obviously got Mickey Rourke, the motorcycle boy. Yeah. Like if we're talking that method style of acting, he is pure Dean and Brando in that Mm -hmm. film. Yeah. And even before he's on screen, they're all talking about him in third person, like the the motorcycle boy. The graffiti on the wall. And you've got, who else is in that? Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, Chris Penn. Yeah. Lawrence Fishbourne, Nicholas Cage, Cage, Dennis Hopper is their dad. You've even got Tom Waits. Tom Waits is the guy behind the diner counter, philosophizing on time. Yeah. What a time! It's counting down, and that's such like a dark, expressive, surrealist film. The soundtrack, the camera movements, like it's just there's a lot of dream sequences in there as mm-hmm. well. And Mickey Rourke again, just like. He's part of this huge ensemble cast of, not at that point acting giants, but everyone is clearly the masters of their field. And yet he still chews up the scenes and spits them out and just steals the whole film. He, so this is the one I've got to say thank you for, because I hadn't seen it. Right. And I spoke to Stu, and Stu had mentioned Rumblefish. I was like, fuck me, so I have to watch this. And I was blown away, and I did a little bit of research into it as well. So he did that off the back of Apocalypse Now, because, you know, that must have taken a lot out of you to film something like that, right? When Capola was um, screenplaying, yeah. um, he'd done that in and around his days off of The Outsiders. Oh, really? I think they're like um, a sequel wow. package, aren't wow. they? Wow. Yeah. Ah, I didn't know that. The Outsiders is so good. And there's that scene where... 
I mean, I d- with a lot of this as well, I've mm. tried to purposefully avoid telling people about certain plot details because sure. I don't want to spoil it for yeah, anyone. Because yeah, yeah. I do think a lot of these films, the magic is in, as you just said, seeing them for the first time yeah. and going, whoa, I wasn't even aware of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just that opening scene, you're going to see so many actors that are so well established. Right? Now. It yeah. fucking yeah. blew me away. Like, I, it, I was, because I watched it quite late. And within about five minutes, boom, I was boom, absolutely boom. buzzing. And the the it is quite it is art house, isn't it? Really, yeah. it's yeah, somewhere yeah. between. Really? Pop, it, 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 it's like a Jim Jarmusch film. Yeah, like but twenty years before that. It's, it's nuts. I was like, I can't believe I've not seen this. It was so exciting, and it is odd. It's strange setups. How he uses sound in it, couple of it's it's weird. Smart, Do you know definitely. who does the soundtrack? No. Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh. And it was one of the most experimental things that Copeland said he ever done. And Cope, do you know Stuart Copeland was? Yeah, but I didn't realise he'd done mm. it. I should have seen yeah. that last night when I was reading about it. I, I can't think of another film that has a score like that. Oh, You've got to think, in 1983, Cope, were the police still the greatest band in the world? Well, the biggest band in the world at that point. 1983, I think, was Synchronicity era. Yeah. It was literally every breath you take. Yeah. It was like... So they must have arguably <laughs> been the biggest band in the world at yeah. that point as well. And he's like, I'm going to go off with this crazy oh. eccentric guy that's just been in Vietnam for five years and make a black and white gang movie. Mm. Absolutely. It's crazy. Matt Dillon in that. They're he's called so Rusty good. James, man. He's cool as fuck. Rusty James. <laughs> Weirdly, they always say Rusty James, don't they? They yeah. never say Rusty. It's always Rusty James. Hey, man. Rusty James. Rusty James, man. Tom Waits, though. I mean, we will come back to Mickey Walk in a minute because his performance is pretty amazing and well deserved for that position but Tom Waits steals the show in every single one of those scenes yeah. it's just the time man one. it's ticking away it's ticking away he was Renfield as well 37 Dracula, just 37 it? summers That's, left you know that line hit me I rewatched the film a couple of nights ago and Powerful. you know there's validation to that point yes. if you roughly have about 35 years left of your life that's only 35 more summers and when you think about life that way that's not a long time is no. it Brandon Lee once said this um, when he was interviewed for The Crow and he said that it's this same concept that you think everything's limitless. You think you're going to see a full moon infinite amount more times. We all might just see a full moon maybe 40 more times your whole life. You might only see it that many times. When you put summers in that context, 35 summers you might have left. It's crazy. And it actually actually preludes into... One of Rusty J- Rusty James's behaviour in the next scene, which is very um, careless and carefree, and actually adds to actually the plot and what happens to his character. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. and it's all just Tom Waits's little captioning. It's, it's fucking amazing, but Tom Waits is a bit of a genius. What yeah. about that bit with Rusty James and Nicolas Cage's character when he takes him outside and he goes? <laughs> Did you take me to that house and invite yeah. your cousin's friends over, knowing that that news would get back mm. to her? And he's like, "Well, I guess I did, Rusty yeah. James. I never thought about that. I guess she's yours, man." Yeah. And he's like, "Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> like it's just so stylized. It's very, it's a very stylized film, but yeah. it's super cool. I think if anybody who has who's listened to this who hasn't seen that film." I mean, we'll watch all of them, obviously, but definitely watch Rumblefish because it's especially when you know it's the guy that made Apocalypse. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's weird to think that he does both movies because in so many ways, Rumblefish films dis- feels disjoint disjointed. The 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 dialogue, it all films feels a bit disjointed. How they've used sound in it, it's a strange watch, and for that reason, it's a unique thing. I'll I'll go back and watch, and and of course, Mickey Rourke. So there's the motorcycle boy. He's so softly spoken in it, the whole thing. And in Diner. And that's the other weird thing is not only does his face change and his body over the years, mm. but his voice in Diner and Rumblefish and even Angel Heart mm-hmm. is so soft and sweet. Yep. And then you hear him now and he's like, yeah, you're doing this. He's one of those guys who you can just see that life has really been tough on him. Mm. Like it's not been an easy ride for that guy, and a lot of it's been, you know, self-inflicted, and he's invited a lot of it. But there's just a really redemptive and the ultimate movie, number one, which we'll get to later. Like that is the ultimate redemption film, and that's why for for me he's the most compelling actor who ever lived. Because Sean Penn, you see, become a lot wider range of characters. I think he has a bigger range. I think he's a more accomplished, technically capable actor. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mickey Rourke, there's just that guy, he's like, I don't know, a bull. 
Yeah. He's got a huge heart mm. and you watch him on screen and you feel, don't you? And you're moved by, and knowing what you know about his life, I think that informs his performances as well. If you kind of read up or know the, the shit that went on, then you see him do it. You're like, yeah. To see that as well, to know where he was and to see, because he tasted it, he's tasted it several times that, that, you know, and he had it as well. And you're witnessing your own life transpire, knowing that you was James Dean in many ways. Mm-hmm. And then having these epic failures that, as you say, were brought on. That is, there's so much tragedy in Mickey Rourke as a person. Yeah. And so much heart. He's, and like you were saying, he's a fucking boxer with an insane record where he, he actually went professional when he, yeah. in his 30s. What, an ins- what a crazy story and a painful one. Yeah. But like they say, we've met, you know, most of the great artists that's used Van Gogh just to be trophy. That's what they go through, man. And they something comes out of that. Something can come out of it yeah. that's beautiful, unique, and refined. It can destroy people. But at the same time, something crazy can come out of it. So, yeah, I definitely think Mickey Rourke is that. He's, a, he's such a good top five, mate. So, Thank that's you. Rumblefish. Well, look, let's let's get another one in before we, 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 we talk okay. about... So I wanna, we, we, we spoke when you was having a... Not when you was having a wee. <laughs> I was having a wee in Stu's garden. You can tell the listeners that that's what happened. To have a wee that we was going to discuss your podcast more and the guests you've had on and you've had some... People that we want to know oh, yeah. a little bit more about, yeah. and uh, which uh, we will get round to. But anything you want to know, Stu, I'm an open book. Fantastic, <laughs> as as are we. Um, next, Hugh film. So number two is Angel Heart, and that is a a film noir. It's very much if you imagine Chinatown. If people have seen Chinatown, mm-hmm. which is probably a more familiar film, yeah. it's like that, but with supernatural elements. So it's basically a detective story about a guy who gets hired by this rich, eccentric private client to track down this missing person, and you don't know too much else at the start apart from that. And it's set in New Orleans, so there's a lot of kind of mumbo jumbo voodoo stuff going on. And Adam Parker film. And it's an Alan Parker mm. film who obviously did Scum, British guy, and has a kind of a, you know, Gary Oldman, Paddy Considine, British, gritty aesthetic. Yeah. So it's quite a different film for him as well. And I think that was the last great film that Mickey Rock made before he went off into the wilderness mm-hmm. for 15 years. That was like, and at that point, and he's in the film with De Niro, like him and De Niro are the two. Well, De Niro's not even really a lead, is he? That, that he's more of a recurring cameo. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, remember yeah. this coming out, and, and the hype wasn't about De Niro. No. Or um, even Rourke, or right? Or Rourke. It the, was the, about the our friend was, Lisa. Was, was the... <laughs> I say our friend, I wish. <laughs> the most beautiful... What? Or are you? How long are you going to talk about I'm her? not going <laughs> to talk about Rosie Perez this evening. I'm just going to talk about Lisa Bonet. Right? Allow him his um, time. Um, but yeah, but um, it was all about the fact that Lisa Bonet, up until that point, was the you know super sweet kid from The Cosby Show. And here she is in some really graphic scenes. Mm. I would um, say the raw... I mean, you, we talked about Nine and a mm. Half Weeks earlier, and that's known to be this kind of X-rated, mm. provocative film at its time. The sex scene in Angel Heart between Mickey and her yeah. Yeah. is... Even funny. now it's yeah. shocking. Even yeah. today but in this video-nasty and, and that world. that was edited. That was edited. They, they, they cropped that so it wasn't going to be X-rated, so it'd become an R. It was, it was, they cropped 10 seconds from the scene. To, to keep it as an the album. money shot, sure. mm, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Have it, you it's seen it? Pretty fraught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, yeah. I've yeah. not seen it I've, since about 1988. I've, I've probably seen it. Seen. I've, I've probably watched it 15 years ago. So uh, I watched so it I, last I night. To, I had to refresh oh, really? my memory. Yeah, I watched it. it last night to refresh my memory. And mm. I mean, there's blood dripping down the ceiling. It's graphic and it's mm. intense. It, yeah. is, it is artistic. It's mm. expressive. You can see that there's something unnatural and mm. supernatural happening. Yeah. It's not like just like a, a sex scene. It's, but yeah. it's, you could see why at that point mm. that a child star then put in this not only adult situation, but graphic, yeah. gnarly, like it's violent. Mm. And I was... You know, as a thirty-two-year-old man who's seen some shit, I've been to Morocco. It's like, it's like that line <laughs> in pla- that line in Planet Terror. I've seen me a stripper with one arm. I've seen me a stripper with one breast, but I have never seen me a stripper with one leg. <laughs> and I've been to Morocco. <laughs> it's it's out there. 
And what she, she would have been, what, 18, 19 or something at the time? Very young, right? Yeah, I, it would have been. Yeah, she. I would have thought about 19, yeah. But the whole thing's dark. Because, as I say, it's been so long since I watched it, I refreshed myself plot line with it. I was like, oh my God, I forgot that. You remember it's, you remember the character yeah. that De Niro plays, right? Again, I don't want to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So Alan Parker, the director, there's a few um, interviews that he's done over the years. One was in like a DVD extra featurette that I watched years ago. And the other one was in like a, just a Mickey Rourke biography story. But he says when Robert De Niro and Mickey Rourke got together on set and they had scenes together, he likened it to two prize fighters going at it. Because De Niro was obviously so established as the king at that point. And Mickey was up and coming and had nothing but revered total adoration and respect towards him. He came on set every day wanting to bring his A-game and improve and go higher. And Alan Parker said to witness, it's like that scene in True Romance with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. It's one of those moments where you just see two absolute like titans of their craft. And I actually think there's the famous scene in Heat with De Niro and Pacino after all those sure. years where they're finally together in the cafe. I actually think all the scenes with Rourke and De Niro in Angel Heart are far more impressive and enticing and I compelling as two actors going at it together yeah. than the Pacino yeah. and De Niro ones because yeah. what you have is De Niro's in the comfortable spot because he's established and he still brings it, but Mickey's got that kind of young, youthful exuberance and this, and there's one scene where fucking De Niro's unpeeling a boiled egg. Do you remember that? And he's no, he I basically can't. like he's got these horrible long fingernails and he's cracking into the shell and he's rolling it out. And he goes and he's looking at Mickey Rourke and he's like, in some cultures and religions they liken eggs to the symbol of life and human souls. And Mickey Rourke's like, you know, that's interesting. And he goes, would you like an egg? And Mickey Rourke's like, no, I've got a thing about chickens. It's like a recurring line throughout the film. And Robert De Niro looks at him and just takes a big bite out of this egg. And it goes from like a jovial situation about eggs to literally Robert De Niro basically going, I'm eating a soul right yeah. here. And it's gnarly. Mm. And then you the twist comes Poor towards the end and you're yeah. like... Yeah. Two prize fight uh, absolute athletes going at it. That's what Alan Parker if, described. If people it, haven't seen this, I'm guaranteeing there's people listening to this who write in Angel Heart down now. It's all about like investigating... It's, it's a cult murders, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah, a double yeah. indemnity. It's a Chinatown. Oh, it's a private even, dick yeah. film. It's a mm. private detective film noir. Long raincoats, lot of rain, lot of. And there's the best bit as well is Mickey Rock finds a dead body in a hotel room, and he literally strikes a match off the dead guy's shoe <laughs> and lights a fag. That's his instant reaction yeah, as he walks nice. in, and finds him, and goes, <laughs> like, killer. Nice. Well, insane symbolism is cool. So before we get to number one. I want to talk a little bit about some of your guests that you've had on your Yeah, because Jesus Christ, Matt, you've had some guests, even recently. So I've just steam trained. I'm so excited. Go on, Stu. Go for it, mate. Go on, pack on. Be Real. Dude, Be Real was the first guest of this year. I would New lose Year's my Day. fucking mind. Like, when we were talking about people you couldn't keep can your call over. Be Real is to anyone that might not know. Yeah, go on. Well, Be Real was in Cypress Hill, yeah? Yeah, Prophets yeah. of Rage now. And, yeah. and, and so Cypress Hill was probably the first real music that I got into when I was like 11, 12 and my mate's brother was listening to it. He's a bit older than us. And that really was an introduction to the pleasure and, and, and joys of music and discovering music. If I met Be Real, I wouldn't be able to keep it cool. You would because like Huey, just he cool is dude. the most cool motherfucker really? in the world. Oh, and mate. there's no bullshit or airs of grace yeah. or... People like that are class acts and yeah. you're in their presence and they just make you feel comfortable yeah. and at ease. Oh, amazing. And he's a class act. I mean, Cypress Hill were as important as Snoop Dogg and Dre, I think, oh, in, the in, sure. in the yeah. introduction of classic hip-hop yeah. into, like, white boy culture. Yeah. You know? Because Public Enemy, if you liked hip-hop, you liked Public mm. Enemy. But if you were just like a kind of white boy rocker kid, you yeah. probably didn't like Public Enemy, unless yeah, maybe yeah. that Anthrax track came around <laughs> and you heard Bring <laughs> the Noise. But Cypress Hill and Snoop Dogg, it was so accessible because the yeah. tunes were so beautifully produced. And not to say that, well, Public Enemy was a diff- it was more aggressive and you know mm-hmm. you had to be into hard-hitting yeah. lyricism and that specific style. Whereas Cypress Hill and Snoop was that kind of lazy, groovy... 
you had the G Funk thing with Snoop, right? Yeah. But with Cypress Hill, you had um, Muggera, DJ Muggs producing there. Well, and I can't House believe, of Pain as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, of course. So I, here, I, can yeah. I tell you this quick story yeah, about that? On, so basically, on, yeah. what B Real told me was that he, um, Muggs gave B Real that. Not the bear, 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 because that's Sam and Dave, but the wah, wah, yeah. that bit from Jump Around. He gave that to B Real first and was like, this is going to be our next cut. And he was like, I don't think I can do anything over that. It doesn't suit my flow. I reckon you and Everlast should hook up because him and Everlast were tight. And so he introduced Muggs and Everlast together and that's how Jump Around came about. Did and, not know and, that. T- and to have that selflessness to go, yeah. that is a sick yeah. like sound, but I can't do that Work justice, yeah. but I know someone who can yeah. go. He's a cool, yeah. You hear that all throughout B-Real's career that he's... he. He's always kept it real. Eminem's said that in the past when there's been beef in the past. Um, B will had beef with Ice Cube, and and you could tell, you could just tell he's legit. And I'm totally on B will's side on, on on all that beef, which they're buried now. But I asked him, who is the one person you've like totally whited out through smoking with? Because obviously, that's what's like, a question? That's the, the number one question you have to ask that dude is who has tried to match you and failed epically. And he said Oliver Stone. So he's like, he's like, he's like, he was in a studio with Damian Marley and they were hanging out doing what stone fucking rap superstar reggae gods do is just fucking, I imagine just smoke pound after pound of grass and Oliver Stone comes through and, and again, be real. He's telling this story, just like arms folded, kicking back. And he's like, so, you know, Oliver Stone smoking away at Damian's joint. And I was like, Oliver, you know, Damian's shit is, is okay, but my shit's the bomb. And this is Bob Marley's son that he's basically going, yeah, your shit's all right, but I got the bomb weed. So he goes, Oliver, come over here. Oliver Stone, I think, doesn't know who Be Real is, but basically he's with like a younger girl who's like, that's the Cypress Hill guy. So he's like, okay, cool. So he has the smoke with Oliver Stone and then literally he said within like two minutes, Oliver Stone's like, where's my fucking keys, guys? (laughs) (laughs) He has a full-on panic attack, loses his keys, like just starts sweating. Basically, he's like, I've got to go home, baby. Can you drive me home? We've got to take your car. And he just like hightailed out of there. And he was like, and and at that point, I think it was just after maybe like JFK or one of those movies came out. So he was like, or maybe even just after Natural Born Killers. So he's like, you know, public enemy number one in the movie yeah. world this controversial yeah. fuck yeah. and he just whiteys it in two drags and <laughs> loses his keys and hits the road yeah. but yeah be real was fantastic <clears throat> and super just i mean for me as i'm sure you guys have found it's like you said earlier i guess is you can go into a situation with expectation and i learn very early and i don't say this with arrogance i hope it doesn't come across arrogantly sure. i just people are just people for me yeah like even like John Lydon was the ultimate like holy grail for me. And that was episode 10 in my Mm. shows. That's 10 weeks in. So how did did that come about? So there's a beautiful man by the name of Tony Cook who runs a uh, publicity company called Screen Promotions. Nothing to do with Paul Cook? No. He's a, just a PR guy from way back in the day. And he's broke a lot of bands over the last 25 years in the sort of more rock end um, his company used to do the Brits, Reading and Leeds download. They used to do loads of stuff. And over the years, he's gotten older and he's started a family. He's stripped it back. And he one day was chatting to me and he said, oh, I'm going to be working with John Lydon and doing this new book that he's putting out, which is basically all the Sex Pistols and Public Image Limited lyrics. Um, would you be interested in doing an interview with him? And I was like, does the Pope fuck kids? Yeah. Of course I fucking <laughs> want to chat. My all-time hero. Yeah. And, and he hooked me up. He hooked me up big time and it was meant to be like a 15-minute interview originally and it went on for 50. And the best thing was, is I don't know whether you've heard it, but I start recording the second I'm outside this hotel room because I, I do all my interviews, I'm sure you probably do, mm. from start to end kind of as they are. Yeah. yeah. And I always like to try and have the record button on and going as either the person who I'm about to interview comes into the room I'm in or I go into their room just you so you get that, that natural yeah, yeah, exactly. and I liked like cause the thing that inspired me to do that was that guy Nick Broomfield who did Tupac versus Biggie or Tupac and Biggie whatever Kirk it's called and, and Kurt and he always has that style where he's basically got his cameraman and then he's there with the boom mic just rolling and they'll just walk straight up to like are you a fan corn. of him? Um, I like that specific aesthetic yeah. of just rolling up like here's my mic Chris yeah. Let's go. Just straight in. Because then people go, oh, fuck. And they're disarmed from the get-go. And it's not a manipulative thing. It's just like, it's natural. I want to capture everything. Like, for me, I'd have loved to just film from the second I got here and 
Yeah. That's just my style is I'm like, I want to go. And so we're knocking on this hotel room door and you just hear John Lydon on the side of the door going, what's the password? And we're like, I don't know, whatever. And then we go in and his manager, his manager is even more of a lunatic than he is. Is that his best mate? Rambo. Rambo, yeah. And he's a John and Sid Vicious was a John and the three of them were the Johns and that was their gang back in the day. They were all three Johns. And obviously Sid's long gone, bless him, but Rambo John and John Lydon are like the two original Johns still going. Yeah, it's his best mate. He's managed him for however long. And Tony, the publicist, and he's this he's a character in and of himself. And he's like, Matt, this is Rambo. And John Lydon just appears in an orange jumpsuit, like something out of fucking Slipknot minus the mask. And he's like, you're a liar. I'm Rambo. He's rotten. And he's just in this character, like, you know, on, like Richard III there. <laughs> And we go out onto his balcony because he's like, I want to smoke, so we've got to do it on the balcony. And we go out there, and there's like three ashtrays, like the size of that crisp bowl, full. There's like 40 cigarettes in all three of them. So there's about 60 nubs. There's like two cases of empty Corona bowls everywhere. And he's just on it, and he's like fucking wasted. (laughs) But charming and generous and sensitive and articulate and disarmingly like sweet. And he was he was everything I hoped and dreamed he would be and more. Like he was he was all of that kind of anarchic yeah. spirit, but behind that was a real heart. Going back to that thing, I think the thing that draws me to to humans and to people is like I don't care if you've done bad things. Like I can forgive that if you show the urge and the need and the want to grow and improve and make amends. And I don't think you should ever judge anyone just by like what you hear about them. Yeah, that sure. was a lesson in that for me. It was like, because he told me a story about how his parents used to take in like um, orphans and would bring them home for a weekend and show them like what it was like to be in a family dynamic. And then at the end of the weekend, they'd have to go back to the children's home, but they'd at least get that taste every now and again of love and, and nurture. And then when the Sex Pistols blew up, the government were like, well, your actual son is this horrible thing, Johnny Rotten, and they stopped the visits that his parents oh. would do. And he and he told me about it in an interview, and he's like, that for me is the most cruel and disgusting thing. And and that was a real eye-opener. Cause but peop- the pistols were doing the Christmas gigs like for the kids and stuff like that. And, oh, man, that's fucked but up. You can just see why he's angry, and he's the way that he is. And he talked to me a lot about how the police would plant stuff on him, and they'd say, unless you get out of London, like we're going to plant stuff on you. And like He wasn't just a public enemy number one in the media. He obviously would have had working-class people who thought he was like a faggot because he had dyed hair. Mm. And a threat to, you know, like Bowie was, to sexual barriers to yeah. these outdated people. He wasn't only a threat to all of those, but he was, he was actually a threat to, like, the government and these organizations, not through malice, but just because he was people, out. People were listening. He was the first guy to call out Jimmy Savile. He was the first guy years yeah, ago. Yeah. Years yeah. ago. Yeah. And the BBC were like, no. And I think with him, he took a lot of heat. I mean, nowadays it's okay oh, to walk man. down the street with blue hair. That's because of him. And I think anyone, you know, there was some stuff years ago with him in a stupid, I'm not just on like a defending for Johnny Rotten mm. tirade here, but there was a thing a while back, well, 10 years or so, where the people in Block Party, I think, Kelly and yeah, his entourage yeah, yeah. got... That, 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 was, that was ugly, wasn't it? That they, that Kelly really... I, I can't remember the full story. Refresh my mind. I don't know the full story because I don't... We, 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 we had Russell on, didn't we? And And... And I was going to mention this with him. You should have. Because I know... I'd like to know what really happened because... Kelly said that he wasn't particularly nice at all, was he? Yeah. And, and, it, and it caused a lot of... Well, basically, everybody up. started saying that he was a racist because he had a racist attack towards Kelly. But it's like, maybe Kelly's just a black guy and Johnny Rotten just didn't want to speak to anyone he didn't know that day. Yeah. You know, it's not a racial thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've got to bear in mind, Johnny Rotten did more for reggae culture and Afro-Caribbean culture than any white person yeah, yeah. in the 70s like him and Don Letts were going out we've to Jamaica and DJ just Forrest no. this Saturday. I saw it dude are you going to yeah. get him on um, yeah we'd you love to have him on he's DJ Forrest a lot he's a, he's a, he's a top fellow and mm. you know I don't know many people that got a Grammy only him and uh, he's, he's got a story He's done by name, done by nature. I just feel like stuff can get misconstrued. Anyway, I don't want to go on too much more about that. But I I just, when you get to spend time with someone like we do in this context, and that's why I love doing what I do so much, is you get to see beyond the headlines and the rumors and the bullshit. And maybe certain people have made mistakes in their life. Maybe certain people do have 
negative qualities but I don't think you should judge anyone until either you've walked a mile in their shoes or spent an hour in their time that's my philosophy mm -hmm. and when you get to converse with someone on a one-on-one -on -one level and they reveal their true self that's when you can make a judgment I think and with someone like John and Sean Ryder um, and Alan McGee like there's a lot of those guys that have really embraced me and shown how, me how was, how was Alan McGee Alan was fantastic. Alan turned up at a basement office that I lent off a friend to use for the day, and he turns up, Sainsbury's carrier bag, just like, so unassuming, you know, just like a guy <laughs> that's come from the train from Dartmoor to go and do some shopping and then do whatever. And he comes down, and he was really nervous because he's not, you know, he took himself to the edge of the cliff of Sanity with bit. cocaine abuse and, and with everything like he he saw over the edge and he almost jumped but something in him went no I'm gonna settle down get he, married his book's incredible creation stories it's yeah absolutely, absolutely. that Joaquin Phoenix story <laughs> amazing and um, he just revealed himself once again you know and he's got a reputation as this loud mouth obnoxious Glaswegian offensive horrible cunt basically that's his reputation and people who knew him then and met him then would probably say that's what that guy is but the guy i met was this sweet very shy introverted like to and considering all he did for british music like he signed so fan club he signed primal scream he signed ride, ride my like, bloody valentine you like, know that that's without talking about oasis and, and the libertines and later the on and, like and now sean he, i don't know whether i can say it I'll tell you afterwards. He's just signed someone really amazing. Oh, okay. Mm. Who's not new, who's super old, but it's an interesting choice. But he, again, like, he's just, and he's been such a mentor and a friend to me. You know, he's taken me to the side and he said, let's look at this. And in fact, the first things he started asking me about was like, so tell me more. He listened to like five episodes before he came in and did the show as well. And you must have that. You it's must have people who come on your show and they're like fans of what you do Sometimes. and they've listened to it. Huey Morgan, that blew me away. Um, yeah, that's kind of it's kind of nice to know that. Yeah. And uh, again, that is a bit of the podcast community. I'm infamously known to not listen to any podcast. No, you don't listen to Pips, do you? He gets, Pip gets really annoyed. Does he? Yeah, he's like, if you listen to that one yet, yeah, I'm like, nope. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's crazy when, when people do do that. I mean, yeah. Um, I want to ask you about one that maybe you wouldn't have thought I'd want to ask about, but um, what was Andy Cairns um, like? Andy, and he won't mind me saying this, I've known Andy for a while, and we've been... Andy Cairns being the front man in the, um, the kind of band, th the, the, the band therapy that was probably famous for being around in the early to mid-90s, mm. you know, tracks like Scream Major and Teeth... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. They were, they were like, at that time, they were on Ozfest. They were on like they were Monsters of Rock. Because Teeth Grinder was basically an industrial record. And then Scream Major was a straight up rock fucking banger. Like the undertones on speed or yeah. something, yeah. 
And then they did the beaut. What was the album that followed? Trouble Gum. Trouble Gum. Um, what was the album directly after that, where they had the mustaches yeah, and it was all strings? Yeah, Beautiful. Remember. And that preceded the Manic Street Preachers and Ocean Color scene and the Verve and all of that indie rock movement into strings. And at the time, everyone was like, "What's this strings bullshit?" Mm. Andy is a session head, and I've been at five a.m. with him many times, like you know, several lines in. And and he's and he's I think he's chilled out in recent times and he's a family man and everything but he's he's just a beautiful he tells I'm gonna just kind of like give you the short version of the greatest story that he told me in the podcast which he's talking about doing acid in Belfast and it's like five a.m. they've been up all night they're tripping balls and they're like let's break into Belfast Zoo this seems like a good thing to do <laughs> so they go to the zoo and they jump in and him and there's three of the guys in the band isn't there and one of them doesn't take any drugs so he's like on the bridge up top, just sort of like, I'll leave you fuckers Straight to edge, it. Yeah. And Andy and the other guy in the band, I don't know which is which, I don't want to incriminate whoever isn't. And they're tripping balls in this zoo and they're looking around and they're like, we're in the fucking lion pen, Jesus dude. Jesus Christ. They nearly ended up in the Darwin Awards then, basically. And they're looking, and I guess from me to Stu, which is a meter at the most, is a lion. And they're on acid and they're like, what do you do in that fucking situation? It's like hell. a dinosaur. It's like, do you move? Do they see <laughs> in infrared? Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> You're like, if we just stay really still, will he just walk yeah. past us? Should we find some mud and put it on our heart? <laughs> Predator stuff. So they start tripping even more so than just the trip. And they turn and they just run and they're screaming and they're fucking trying to climb their way back out. And they're looking up at the other bandmate who's looking down at them. And he's like in tears of laughter. And they're going... This is the most cruel way to die. Not only would you get mauled by a lion, but our bandmates watching it and laughing and doing nothing. So they're climbing to the top of this wall and they go up there and they're just like near-death experience. And he's like, you guys are class, man. You guys are class. And they're like, that's a fucking lion. What in the episode? That was a fucking golden retriever, lad. You're in the... <laughs> you was in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, fucking amazing. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> All right, well, look, should we, um, should we hit the top spot? <laughs> Years was in the no, car no, park, We've lads. got two left, haven't we? No, we ha- well, we haven't really done Sin City. We've kind of done it, but... I, no, I've... let's talk about Sin City, because if that, that's your number two, right? No, no, Sin City was four. Are we, oh, are we got a good time? Yeah, we got a good time. Yeah, yeah so my, my order was Diner. In fact, no, let's do... Yeah, it was. I moved it around, because initially Sin City was four, but then I uh. thought, let's do the first three 80s movies all yeah. kind of together. Yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. happened. Because uh, then you can talk about the wilderness years and the fact that this... So here's the beautiful story that kind of endeared me to this guy more than anything, is he's down on his luck. He's got no money. The phone hasn't rang for like eight years. He can't get arrested in Hollywood, but he's there. And he has all that time. And there's a movie he made, which was the sequel to nine and a half weeks called Wild Orchid, which is the same premise, but just like a total straight-to-video B-movie version of it. And the actress in that, Mickey, ended up marrying. And she was like... And there's actually a really interesting... He kind of outdoes himself, but Piers Morgan, who I think is a despicable human, but he does an amazing interview with Mickey, not through anything he does, because his questioning is quite hardline and horrible, but Mickey just kind of reveals himself. And it's... um, life stories or something like that it's on youtube people can watch it and so mickey married the star of this film and he basically he found in her his soulmate like another damaged delicate kind of troubled individual and they became very tight but she was big into heroin and through her he got into heroin and it was this very kind of you know destructive oh, horrible wow. drug-fueled relationship and she accused him of basically beating her up which was what added to the IRA Samuel Goldwyn fire, and that kind of instigated his decade in the wilderness. But what he says happened is that he, and he's very adamant about it. He's not like, I didn't hit her. He's like, I w- I'm, I'm a child of abuse, and I would never hit anyone more vulnerable than me, regardless of sex or whatever. But basically what happened is he found out the guy that got her addicted to dope, and he found him and beat the fuck out of him. And he got Mickey arrested, and then she basically, because she couldn't remember anything because she was so strung yeah. out, just sort of said, oh, yeah, he did this and this sure. and this. So she sold him down river basically, and left him. And So he's left broken. He's got no girl, no job, no family, no nothing. 
And that was at the point in time when he started buying dogs. And a lot of people might know him as the guy that's always got like a chihuahua on him. Because <laughs> right, yeah, he went yeah. through periods yeah. of always bringing them on movie sets yeah. and stuff. And he had the one... I can't remember the name. It was a really funny name, but he had this one chihuahua, which is like his best friend throughout that time period where he had nothing in life but just one chihuahua. And he said he went out one day and decided, like, I haven't been out in public in however many months. I'm going to treat myself to a nice shave, put on a nice suit, and I'm just going to go buy a nice Italian dinner and make myself feel like a human again. So he's sitting in this Hollywood restaurant, and he's like, he would always work out, so he was always fit, but, you know, no one had seen him in a long time and he's in this restaurant having this pasta meal and he feels a presence over his shoulder and he turns around and it's Sylvester Stallone and he's like Mickey how you doing huh he's like I'm making this movie called Get Carter and I need a guy I'm sounding more like Arnie there I need a guy who looks like he can kick my ass you want to go to work and Mickey's like I would love to you know, he hadn't made a film at that point, apart from shit like Harley Davidson and the Marlboro mm. Man or whatever god-awful yeah. films he'd been in to pay the rent. So Sylvester Stallone gave him the Get Carter role. Vincent Gallo put him in a cameo in Buffalo, Buffalo 66 yeah. as the bookie. Sean Penn put him in the pledge. And all these actors started putting him in films again to, like, give this guy another chance, basically. And then Tony Scott put him in a couple of movies, Man on Fire. And oh, then course, yeah. the one with uh, like the Hitman film that Tony Scott did as well, he was in that. But Robert Rodriguez basically was like, I'm adapting this comic book and you are the guy that has to play Marv. And that, going back to the very start of the Mickey Rourke chat, was my introduction to him. Hmm. And I was It was like, my reminder of him because, as you say, he disappeared. And when I'd seen his other stuff, I was quite young. I was like 18, 19 when I'd watched Angel Heart, I think. So it was. It was. I, I didn't recognise him because it'd been so long since I've he's seen him. He's unrecognisable. And he was. He's, he's still like Sin City is a, a fantastic um, conversion. I think they've done from the comic book. I think he's really um, special guest. Director. Pays respect to it. Oh, of course it was Tarantino, isn't it? Yeah. He did. He does the scene with Clive Owen in it. Have I got his name right? Clive Owen is the actor. Um, no, it's um, it's Bill Owen. <laughs> Fun fact, you know Benicio Del Toro is doing the thing with his head rolling off. Oh, sure, he based yeah, his yeah. voice in that on Tom Waits. Ah, when he's doing that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He becomes a, becomes a yeah, Pez dispenser. Yeah. yeah. No way. But yeah, so that, that reintroduced it and I was like, fuck me, he's, he looks so different in it and what he plays Marv to a T. Yeah. I mean, again, it's an ensemble cast with some of the best mm. actors in the world, oh, some of the most what, beautiful yeah. looking women, sure. some of the greatest actors Rosario and, Dawson's and movie mm. stars. Mm. And does he not steal the whole show? Yes. Does he not mm. chomp out the whole fucking yeah. script and spit it back out yeah. and make it his movie? Yeah. And not through, and that's the thing with acting is, I think you can be over the top and dominating, like say someone like a Jack Black or a Will Ferrell. Mm. I love both those actors. and I love the films they're in, but when they're in a scene, they obviously just dominate everyone mickey rourke does it but in such an understated like he's not a selfish actor he mm -hmm. doesn't go all right this is your podcast but i'm gonna fucking push you guys aside and own this moment he's like i'm just gonna sit here and be me but through doing that i'm somehow gonna just lay waste to everything around six me six years of fucking acting school where he had to scrimp and save for it man and the life and the struggle i guess yeah. of his years in the wilderness you know this disfigured monster that marv is that is Mickey, isn't There's it? He, kn he knows what it's like to have been in the spotlight and have been the kind of flavor of the week and then to have lost everything. Mm. And because Marv's a very tragic character, isn't he? Oh, it? yeah, yeah. Like a very... And he, the whole arc of that storyline is basically him just trying to find these guys that killed this girl that he met for five minutes yeah. because she in that absolute flicker of time showed him happiness that he never knew before. Yeah. And so he's willing to sacrifice everything just to do justice yeah. to that. And there's that fucking bit at the very, very end when they're trying to electrocute him. And <laughs> I don't I don't think with Sin City there's a spoiler problem because everyone's seen that, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's like, Is that all you got? Yeah, yeah. Fucking yeah. pussies. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Whoa. The blood it's coming out. Groundbreaking in his, his cinematography as well. Oh, film, certainly, mate. Yeah. And although he's in prosthetic makeup and he still, like, physically looks as tough and mean yeah. and scary as that character is on screen just mm. by being Mickey, doesn't mm. he? Well, certainly, because he like can manage in car windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can certainly, you know, he brings that manhandling aspect that Marv is because, again, 
he's a he was a boxer, you know. Yeah. So he has got that, and 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 Mars tough as old nails, and so is Mickey Rourke as well. He did bring that onto the screen. Um, I think there's that throwback shit. as well to all the '50s movies that he was in, like Angel Heart, the long coats, the rain, yeah, the monologues. Definitely. Like, I, I, mu- I guess if you're a movie geek like Rodriguez is, you're casting that person knowing. If people like us Wait. know and care enough, they're going to in their head go, wow, remember in Angel Heart with that long coat and the smoke and how different he was then to this guy? Because yeah. it's almost a variation of that same character. Yeah, yeah. Like, what happened to Harold Angel in this comic book world? Because it's still the same yeah, kind of guy, really. It's film noir, isn't it, as well? Sin City's that. Yeah, It's heart. Yeah, it's a good choice. It's a good, awesome movie. I haven't watched it for so long. They did another one, um, and I haven't got around to watching it yet because no, I, I didn't, didn't get such one. good reviews. And I'm not. I love Sin City so much. I'm like, can oh. I tell you guys the best Josh Hartnett story ever? Yeah, he's got he has got an interesting story, Josh Hartnett. As it's well. nothing to do with his acting or his mm-hmm. craft. He walks away from Hollywood, didn't he? A lot, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how much trouble I'm going to get into for saying the yeah, story, yeah. right? So. <laughs> I just want to try and match my Sanchez friends earlier with that. With their st- and this is a true story. I yeah. promise you this is true and it's not uh, fabricated in any way. So I've got a good friend who I won't name because she'll be directly implicated in okay. the revelation of this fact. Sure. She's a riding instructor. I met yeah. her at Leeds Festival one year and she's like, I'm a riding instructor. There's a couple of students of mine that would like to get on the guest list of this festival. You work here. Can you Riding? Uh, horses? Horse, bikes, horses, right. horses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm like, who are the who are the friends? And she's like, oh, it's Josh Hartnett. And who's the actress who plays Steve Coogan's love interest in the Soho Porn King film? Oh, Tamsin no. Edgerton yeah, is no, that her name? I'm never gonna get her yeah, name, Edgerton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she and Josh Hartnett used to be a couple. And my friend, about to say a name, my friend used to teach the pair of them how to ride horses for film roles. Mm-hmm. And so about a year passes, I stay in touch with this person. And I go, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. in a bit. I'd love to meet your friend Tamsin out there and hang out and just you know get to know her and stuff because you're always in this world trying to make contacts and try and extend your guest pool on whatever it is that you do. Purely, you know, respectful. It's never yeah. who's you. So it was a... Uh, an industry kind of professional link I was looking for. And she went, yeah, I'll hook you up. So she kind of tweeted the two of us in a tweet. I guess her boy, Josh Hartnett saw this tweet and didn't like it. (laughs) And he starts calling my friend and going, who the fuck is this UK DJ that's coming out to LA to try and get some fucking alone (laughs) time with me and my girl. And she's like, it's my friend, Matt. Like I told you about him. He was the guy that was going to get you into the festival. I'm he, host a radio show just yeah. and he's so livid and I'm like what's this guy and I'm going to go in on some gnarly shit right now <laughs> and I'm like what's this guy's problem because I'm a no one like as <laughs> if in a million fucking years yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're Josh Hunt you're going to be threatened by me by this <laughs> like when you put a picture up to promote this show yeah. your listeners will see this is not no threat to Josh no, Hart no. on any level truly dreadful on any <laughs> yeah. level yeah. we're going to have to have an Instagram you know those voters yes no with your face <laughs> in Josh Hart <Hartnett. laughs> <laughs> let's put this to the audience I don't even think I can say the punchline fuck it's pretty gnarly and I'm like what's the guy's insecurities and it basically comes down to the really that's what it comes down to what can we really? leave it at that? Yeah. yeah. That's what it comes no. down to. Man, you suffer with that. And no, and, of course. And yeah, isn't yeah. that crazy that you can get to that level yeah. and be so successful and handsome? And I'm yeah. sure he's a very amazing he's human being. He's beyond fucking handsome. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And, but still, yeah. he can he's see got, this yeah. and become threatened because of that. It's a little issue we need to deal with. Yeah, I thought yeah, I'd drop yeah. that in there. You can cut it out yeah. in the edit maybe if you want. No, but I, we I don't need it. Boom! As long as tomorrow you don't go, uh, that, that, that's, that, that, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. That, that little thing about Josh Hartnett. <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean that, that just that tiny little that's thing? Yeah. Comment yeah. I made. Um, fuck. There but you go. You know what? At the end of the day, you could strip it, you know, strip everything away. <laughs> And there ain't much left. (laughs) (laughs) We all still, we all could still get hang-ups on the same things, can't we, basically? That was a lesson in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck. God, people are weird, aren't they? Right. Number one? Yeah. Let's do it. We all know what it's going to be, don't we? If anyone at this stage doesn't know, 
then I guess you've never seen a Mickey Rourke film because yeah. this yeah. was the film yeah. that if you'd never heard of the guy or never seen him in action, this I mean, this is Brando in The Godfather. This is like the most redemptive role. I mean, this might be the most redemptive role that any actor will ever play. Yeah. In terms of the... And again, hopefully if people have listened to this show and have gone on this journey and have kind of like become inspired and interested by this guy's story, if they have seen The Wrestler already, and that is obviously number one is The Wrestler, they're going to kind of now go, fuck, it makes all the sense in the world now. Why? Because Darren Aronofsky had to fight tooth and nail to get him the part. Apparently they couldn't get funding from anyone because everyone in Hollywood was like, you know, Rodriguez is fine because he self finances and, you know, he does all the special effects, all the score. So he doesn't need, and he's got Harvey Weinstein just backing him Mm. anyway. So he doesn't need to go and seek investments. Whereas people like Aronofsky, if you're wanting to make a big film, you need to get producers and money guys involved. And everyone was like, no, if it's Mickey Rourke, if you want to make this film with him, then we're not putting in any money cast anyone else. And we're in, but otherwise, no, but he, in fairness to the guy, stood his ground and said, this is Mickey's film. It has to be him. And so they made it on a shoestring budget. And that's why it's all handheld and gritty and very up close and claustrophobic is because that's all the budget they had was basically Darren Aronofsky was director of photography and was doing all the was filming. Was he really? DIP? Yeah, yeah. He was just literally holding it on his shoulder. And most of, I think, the scenes were just the three of them, you know, just kind of like super intense, up close. And Mickey wrote a lot of the dialogue he got the script and initially he was like, I'm a boxer. I've got no respect for wrestling. It's a preordained match. You know, I come from a background where you train and you fight and this thing is like child's play. And then I think he went on a few like research trips into that field and actually saw these guys who spent a lifetime destroying the themselves. Of it, yeah. Like the reality of not the Chris Jericho, Hulk, well, maybe Hulk Hogan's a bad example now, but not the money successful end, but actually like those guys, like who's the dude who was in They Live? who passed away. Yeah, Rowdy Roddy Piper. That kind of level yeah. of like, where do you Touched go it, after the... got f- there, but not for very... Not but for that's Aslan. pretty much the story of Randy. Yeah. You know, had success, kind of dried up, and had now all he's fighting it. on the regional shows mm. to to make ends meet. That's mm. pretty much the premise sat of... sat there with a catheter underneath his yeah, table. Yeah. Risking his life. Yeah. Risking his life for it. And yeah. That's the other thing Mickey said, is he actually saw the the danger that these guys put themselves in at that level, because it's like, how do you go the extra mile to give the fans at that level what they paid to see? Yeah. You can't give them the show of the glitz and the, you have to give them the raw beat down, right? Yeah. And, but but when you watch it, like, you know that that's what he's doing in the film, you know, the character Randy is going through that. But when you're watching it as well, I'm feeling it for Mickey. Like fi- the physicality that he has in that movie, it looks strained. It it's looks all like him. Stra- you feel well. like he's gonna ha- have a fucking heart attack yeah. in the real heart. life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he actually was doing that to himself whilst playing that character who he's doing that to himself. That's what I thought was fucking. And still working in the supermarket as Wayne, was it? Was his name Wayne? When he puts his oh, fucking remember. finger in the meat chopper. Oh man. <laughs> You know it's going to happen as well. Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, that, I reckon that's... I think that's the only Mickey film I've seen in the cinema. And it's it's a fucking incredible film. It really is a fucking... It makes me... I mean, I don't know whether you're tired or you're welling up as well, but I'm looking at you, Stu, <laughs> and I feel like I've definitely got tingles. I feel, <laughs> like, it, 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 I feel like I want to cry thinking mm. about it. It's so, so... Like, there's that bit where he's with his daughter, Evan yeah. Rachel Wood, and he actually talks about her in the same reverent that he talks about De Niro and Angel Heart in the yeah. interviews that I've seen he's like she's like 16 se- at the time she's like 16 17 years old and he's like the level of game that she brought to each scene made him question his own ability yeah. at his wow. stage in his wow. life because he was like I can't bring it and yeah. even Aronofsky apparently was like dude she's killing you she is killing you and so he re- he rewrote a lot of the dialogue and there's that bit where he's saying about how I'm just a broken yeah, piece yeah, of yeah. meat yeah. Yeah. and that's all him and that is just, I mean, as a fa- I'm not a father, but you are, right? And I am, yeah. You must be able to relate to that scene on that level. Oh, it's like, imagine absolutely. looking your child You're in the eye. You're a massive failure, and they have to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, mate. I'm <laughs> just a broken down piece of meat in my garage with Matt and Chris. Seeing <laughs> me shit every night. <laughs> Can I sleep inside tonight? <laughs> no! No, Dad! <laughs> 
Fair enough. It's crushing, isn't it? Like that idea of letting your daughter down so much that she can't even look you in the eye. And he and he repeatedly lets her down, even throughout the film when sure. he's trying. And I'll tell you two cool facts about it. I don't know whether you know other of these. Number one is, you know, he walks out to Sweet Child of Mine. He walked out as a boxer to that. That was his jam. Didn't know that. He walked out. Was that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember when I've watched these fights, he come out to Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Always. They do yeah. a lot of the wrestling fight scenes in between promoted matches because there was no budget. So they basically go to venues where there was like a double-headed wrestling night on. The first match would happen, and then in the intermission, Aronofsky, Mickey, and whichever wrestler he was fighting, and they were all real wrestlers, would run in. They'd get the scenes filmed in front of a live, real audience, and they'd get out. And so they're in there, and Mickey's trying to get warmed That's up, crazy. and he's like, I can't get into it. We need Sweet Child of Mine. So it's played, and it's in the scene, but then, of course... To pay to have that song in a film is probably going to be the budget of the entire yeah. film. That's how low it was. Mm. That's how gangster Mickey Rock is. He calls up Axel Rose and he's like, Axel, <laughs> I need you to let me use the song in this film. It's about basically me and we've got no budget for any kind of soundtrack royalties, but we can't take this song out. And Axel's like, you're my dude, of course. Now and that's Axel significant because Axel exactly. Rose... <laughs> It's it, one of the it, most. It's, well, it's no, not like you're calling up Dave Grohl. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Axel yeah. Rose. He's not one of the most best mate, is he? No, he's not. Like he's got, he's walked his own path, hasn't he? Axel yeah. Rose, love him or hate him, he's so to be to be able to appeal to Axel Rose and go, yeah, of course, Mickey. That's yeah. crass, fucking mental. And fact two, which is even better than that, is there's a song on the album, uh, the album, the film by Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. called "The Wrestler," mm-hmm. and Mickey Rourke hand writes a letter to Bruce Springsteen who we met through Sean Penn mm-hmm. who's a huge Bruce Springsteen the fan is complete. right and he goes Bruce I'm making this film and it's like it is his story however you want to dress it up the yeah. wrestler is the story of Mickey Rourke yeah. that's why it's number one that's why he's the king and he writes Bruce Springsteen this letter and he goes if you've got any time just on the it's like what we do right if you don't ask you don't know sure. if you want Don Letts or Hugh Morgan or fucking John Lydon or Be Real or whoever on your podcast, you have to just ask and maybe they'll say yes. How many times do I say that to you, Chris? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't ask, they you don't just get. just say no. Exactly. Yeah. That's you're the talking worst about, that could happen. You're talking about off-cuts of me in Sainsbury's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's still up. <laughs> so he writes this letter to Bruce and Bruce is on tour around Europe and he gets it. And God bless the guy. In the middle of a European tour, he sits down in his hotel room one night, Nebraska style with a four-track recorder, and writes him and an acoustic guitar this song called The Wrestler for Mickey Rourke for that film, again, as a gift for free. Which is why if you watch the Mickey Rourke acceptance speech at the BAFTAs or no, the Golden Globes, he's thanking everyone. He goes, Bruce, my brother, and Bruce is in the crowd at the table. So to call upon... The Rock Gods, Axl Rose. Yeah, and and it, I've seen Mickey Rourke in an interview say this. He's like, no amount of money in this world can buy that. If you were Jerry Bruckheimer yeah. and you decided you want an original Bruce Springsteen composition for your film, mm-hmm. you could offer him 10 million pounds. If he doesn't fucking like you or he's not interested, there's no way on earth he's going to do it. No. Same thing with Axl Rose because he's yeah. that much of a fucking yeah. prick. <laughs> you know, he's like, I don't give a fuck if you give me 20 million yeah, yeah. to use two seconds of that song. I'm out. Yeah. But because both of these titans respect Mickey so much, they're both like, not only will they do it, but it's free. It's gratis. And that, I guess, is why he was my guy for the top five and why he's my all-time favorite fucking champion actor. Mate, if anyone can put a case forward for how fucking <laughs> cool Mickey Rourke is, you've nailed it. I just want a little round of applause for that. Mickey. Well done, Matt. Mickey. Well done, Matt. Well done, Mickey. Fucking hell. And Mickey, if you ever get to hear this, you are my number one podcast dream guest. So. That was my last question. He's my, he's my number one. He okay. straight up is. And I'm not just saying that to okay. make the segue come full uh-huh. circle. He is my number one. Um, my top five would be Iggy Pop, him, Sean Penn, uh, Jim Carrey, and... Another musician. Uh, Another musician. Another musician. Um, can you edit out the silence? I'm just trying to think. No, it's, fine. it's a tough one to be put on the spot by. Because most of them, for, most of them for me at this point are gone. Right. Like my dream one, like Iggy, Iggy, Iggy. Well, I can't even think. They can't be Joan Jett. Joan Jett. 
because she was the first person to break down gender and just be like, it doesn't fucking matter if you've got a dick or tits. As long as you can rock, Mm. then that's what's up. And she produced the first Germs album, which is one of the best LA punk albums ever. And she's just kicking ass and taking names still to this day. So, yeah, so it'd be Iggy Pop, Joan Jett, and did I say another musician? No. You said Sean Penn, didn't you? Sean Penn. His brother makes music, Michael Penn. He's married to Amy Mann. Really? Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. And Chris Penn was in uh, Rumblefish. R.I.P. Wasn't he? His brother. There's a bit in... He's got an interesting story. Chris Penn, again, died with the the typical um, cocaine, drugs, overdose type sort of lifestyle. You both need to... I'm going to buy it for you. Mm. In fact, if we do part two, top five Sean Penn films, I'll come round with a copy of his biography for each of you because it's one of the best books. Like, his son's called Hopper Jack Penn. After fuck, Jack Nicholson fuck, and Dennis sorry, Hopper. Sorry, I've got to, inter- I've got to interrupt fuck, 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 here while we're talking about good names. Yeah, go on. Because it was something that I wanted to talk <laughs> about when we spoke about Angel Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lisa Bonet's character in yes. Angel Heart. Yeah, it's cracking. Epiphany Proudfoot. Epiphany right? Proud, yeah. Is that I, I remember Epiphany, I don't remember the fucking name ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I'd set the game. And watch De Niro's, Lewis Cipher. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's totally. name in that film is amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but go on, sorry. As you were no, saying, that's sorry, it. That's that. Let's end on that. I think we've got to get to the station anyway, yeah, haven't we? Sure. Well, Matt, but it's dude, been a fucking pleasure, mate. Matt, um, where can people find out about you and your podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. Self promotion, hijacking. Well, first of all, thanks to the pair of you for inviting me down uh, here and welcome, inviting mate. me into this you. beautiful mm. abode and for giving me the time and the air to uh, to yap. And I hope it's been enjoyable for your yeah, listeners. Crack, yeah, yeah. Um, at Matt Stocks DJ is where you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I don't have a podcast handle because I try T, to. Yeah. I tried to make it all under one roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt Double T, M A Double T S T O C K S D J, and look out for the Sanchez dates. Come to those. Mm-hmm. That's basically going to be my podcast in front of a live audience with them, with footage, and then we're going to have a break. We're going to do live fan Q and A, hangouts, and it's that for me is the goal this year is to take this. You guys have the pub, so you've got that on lockdown. All I do is just rock up to like a tour bus or a dressing room. So I'm trying to do more of mine in front of a live audience. So I still cool. record it and put it out as a podcast. Yeah. Mm. But they do the kind of live event yeah. side as well. So I can, you guys, hey, are hey, go, you guys are going Patreon. I'm going ticket going sales. Because yeah, yeah. you have we, to do we, it, don't we, you? We, you we got do to make, we've we've we do live, live as well. We've yeah. done yeah. sold out live shows. Sold out. Yeah, we've done all right. One Double in Essex, up. two in Shoreditch, one in Dublin. Well, let me, if you ever want, well, we, we, I won't drink for the next time. If you ever do a live one, if you ever need another match. Oh, mate, be a pleasure to have you on with that. April, or is it March? We, we'll have a little chat with you after about yeah, a live yeah. show and something else we've got coming yeah. up. Oh, yeah, definitely that. Um, Mum's the word, nudge, nudge. <laughs> know what I mean? Matt's on Acast, uh, Life in the Stocks. Yeah, li- right. uh, oh yeah, the podcast. I just talked about my Twitter, <laughs> like I'm some kind of important tweeter, <laughs> like some social influencer. I'm not, yeah, I've got a podcast on Acast and iTunes called Life in the Stocks. Um, I've had everyone from Sean, L- let me start that again. Oh, you, don't, oh, you don't edit, do you? No, no. Um, <laughs> that was your chance. No, no. I'm pressing stop now, Matt, So Yeah, do it, just just cut <laughs> that. Beep. Tom Green's been on there, Steve-O from Jackass, Nicola Alice Vera from Queens of the Stone it's crazy. Asian. Troy, they're, they're one of my favourite bands of all time. He was a powerhouse, yeah, man. We yeah. drunk a bottle of Jack and he told me why Josh kicked him out of the band. Yeah. Oh, and it was gnarly. And ev- everyone has an opinion of Josh, yeah. which has, I guess, since been changed since he kicked the mm. photographer in the head and I was going, oh, maybe he isn't mm. such a hero. But that guy's not all he seems. And right. Nick Oliveri isn't all he's made out to be either. And it goes back to that idea of like, don't judge someone until you hear them sure. tell their side of the story. Yeah. And he he was a beautiful guy, a very like sensitive, delicate, sweet dude, like a monster. His dad drove off a cliff on speed when he was like ten, and his uncle gave him speed when he was twelve for the first time. So he comes from a very troubling background, sure. but he's come through that, and he, he's a sweet guy, <laughs> sweet guy. Uh, Alice Lowe's been on there, loads of people. Um, John Lydon, Sean Ryder, Alan McGee, yeah, Be Real. There you go. There's. If there's not enough reason to go and check out Matt's podcast... You're a fucking idiot. I couldn't have put that better myself. Thank you, boys. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, man. Cheers, dude. Um, Welcome to um, the end of part two um, with myself. um... (laughs) 
Take your time. I know. I wanted to think of something then. And um, do you not know? Did you not know where you was going with it? Well, which I, was which was the the harsh accusation that you threw at me at the start of this uh, episode. Well, because you went give us your money, fucking no, girl. No, no, off. I'm talking about the start of the episode where I started doing a little song. Oh, wait, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you topped it. Yeah. <laughs> your intro. Yeah, I did do a bit of a geld off. I was a bit pressuring, wasn't I, with yeah. the old um, subscribing and Patreon. Plain offensive. Sure, mate. Say sorry. I'm not saying sorry, mate. Say sorry and mean it. No, I can't. I can't say sorry. I don't say sorry when I don't mean it. I'm going solo. Bye. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.